Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Anne Friedman. On this week's agenda, we have an ode to Keanu Reeves and some hot new Calvin Klein ads, a heads up that labia glue is fake news, Cheeto Watch, including a photo of Kellyanne Conway being way too casual, and we call bullshit on who's a real feminist type arguments. Okay, what are we talking about today? I mean, listen, there are lots of things to talk about, but I want to start with the most fun, which is uh, our recent realization that you are sexually attracted to Keanu Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, it sounds so not awesome when you put it that way, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, I say this as someone who's been there for several decades, so I'm excited. I'm excited to hear about your evolution. (laughs) Oh my God, that is ridiculous um yeah this is like very new to me i tweeted the other day i was like have i just been blind all these years or did he just get hot all of a sudden i say this because i stumbled upon uh this action movie john wick that stars who well no i watched john wick the first and then i had to like rush myself to the theater to watch john wick the second <laughs> because i was like what there's a sequel and it's on right now and keanu was hot like this is crazy yeah i was just never a keanu stan it's weird never really noticed him and then fucking john wick great movie by the way really recommend for like stoner afternoon it's perfect yeah i i feel like keanu i mean as a teen, I feel like I had like alt teen crushes, but like Keanu has like consistently been my most mainstream headliner box office star crush from way, way back. And I don't even know how I picked him. Like maybe it was Bill and Ted. I was thinking about this. Like maybe it's something. It about- was in the Paula Abdul Rush Rush video because okay, that maybe has that- recently come into my life. And I was like, what is happening here? I mean, I had like kind of weird restrictions on what media I was allowed to consume. What? And MTV was not allowed and R-rated movies were not allowed, but I was allowed to listen to Paula Abdul's music. So I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe I snuck in the Rush Rush video. Maybe Bill and Ted. I don't know. By the time, like, actually, hang on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a year check on this. But, like by <laughs> the time he was like already like headlining movies and stuff, I was a super, I was like a, like a crushed out baby super fan. Yeah, no, this is what I, this is what I've learned from all of my lady friends is that they're all big Keanu fans. I had no idea. Oh my God. Yeah. And so by 1995, Johnny Mnemonic, the Canadian American <laughs> cyberpunk action thriller film, as it is called on the internet, which I don't remember ever. I'm sure I saw it at some point, but yeah, I was like firmly a fan by 1995. That's like the update. I'm very happy to actually discuss this. Cause I don't know. I don't, I feel like like no, most of my, like most childhood crushes are no longer relevant in a box office or like a Twitter convos way. This is true. It's like, I was obsessed with watching the devil's advocate, that terrible movie. You know what I'm talking about? I do. That uh, Keanu was in. And I think the reason I really wanted to watch is because it was R rated, you know, and also like we couldn't watch it at my house, but I would like sneak it in all the time. And I watched it and I was like, oh, this movie's kind of hot, but it never like occurred. Like I was never actually attracted to anybody in the movie. 
So this whole thing is throwing me for a loop. <laughs> Wait, so were you not allowed to watch any R-rated movies or was there like... Other- no, this one was just like particularly bad. You know, it was like R-rated and it was like about the devil and sex. <laughs> like it was just... My parents were really inconsistent in how they enforced like movie rules or whatever. And then at boarding school, definitely were not allowed to watch this. So I think it's like when I went home, I just wanted to be bad. Seen that, Speed, Matrix, like all the shit, like it never occurred to me. And then this weekend, it's like I watched uh, The Replacements and Walking in Clouds. Like basically, I just went down the rabbit hole. I was like, what has Keanu been in? Oh my God, you watched A Walk in the Clouds this weekend? That was- Listen, that movie is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I'd forgotten about it completely until you just said it. <laughs> that movie is so bad. Like everything 1995 is just like very shady vintage. I'm here. I am here for this like very confusing crush I have. I am also happy to share that. And also happy how I responded to your tweet with a thing about how my parents kept confiscating my speed VHS tape because it's also <laughs> rated R. And and thinking about, honestly, I don't know if this is because ratings have changed, but like honestly trying to think about what is objectionable in the movie speed. I mean, I guess there's like stuff blows up. It's kind of violent, but like, but like there's no sex. There's not like by like modern HBO standards, like much violence. But there's all. like cursing and like crime is occurring. Oh, cursing. Cursing. I yeah. That. It's always, it's always like, you know, like cursing is the first thing on the parents' radars. <laughs> it's like cursing i know this because of boarding school it's like what's wholesome right and it's like crime occurring is not usually like redeemed you're right cursing it's like trying to remember the things that were banned in my household a lot of it we weren't allowed to watch shows that featured kids talking back which is why i didn't see like the simpsons or roseanne until i was an adult (laughs) um that was like 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 as if i learned to talk back from tv not just from being a belligerent brat on my own (laughs) that's so funny also for anybody who's listening to this, don't buy Speed 2 because Keanu's not in Speed 2. Oh, yeah. Isn't it like Jason Patrick or something? It is 100%. <laughs> in fact, Jason Patrick. <laughs> 100% not a heartthrob Jason Patrick. Or maybe you're into him. I don't know. No, was not into it. <laughs> but yeah, it was one of those like, this is really funny going through this list. And just like thinking about like, yeah, what I was and wasn't allowed to watch like 47 Ronin. Um, wait, no, 47 Ronin is recent. Ronin is a completely different movie. Yeah, Ronin uh, full stop is like is like a Robert De Niro action movie. From the yeah, 90s, right? that one. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Like, we couldn't watch that. Oh, what else did I watch this weekend? Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, lol. <laughs> and Much Ado About Nothing. Ooh, and, a classic. Uh, my Own Private Idaho. I really went down the rabbit hole. And Point Break, duh. Duh. Source of some really quality Keanu gifts, the Point Break movie. Sold, but you know, like, I'm gonna really stand for John Wick. That movie franchise is excellent. Ugh, yeah. I just like, I I just like a good action movie, which is all, which is all I wanted. I was like, yeah, this is perfect. You live in like a great little minimalist house, you have pain, and like a lot of people die. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know. Like, for some reason, I've always found action movies more relaxing than, like, the stereotypical light, I'm air quoting, light rom-com because I, I, like, I can't turn off, like, the gender roles anxiety when I watch a rom-com or, like, stuff about portrayals of 
relationships always seems to bother me. But like in an action movie, you're like, whatever. <laughs> like, I know there's a bunch of gratuitous murder, but like somehow it seems easier to turn off my brain. To it really is. It's like you turn off the sexism. You try, like, I don't know what it is. I just like, I find it very, it's the ultimate like escapism for me. Cause I'm just like, this is so not my universe. I don't know how to deal with this. Right. Exactly. Like I am never like living in a minimalist apartment with like six passports, like on the run from the law, <laughs> like slash hunting someone down. I'm- yeah. Also, those people know what they're doing. You know what I mean? You're like explosion, explosion. Like it's all very soothing and calming. <laughs> totally. Oh well, now my that- gosh. Okay. Now, you know, now, you know, my like deep, deep secret is that I spent all weekend watching Keanu movies. I mean, I actually think that this is something that, like, if there were a Keanu film fest, like, women in our age, a demo, and probably many others would would show up for it. (laughs) Oh, 100%. Keanu, if you're listening, curate your own movie festival. Oh, my God. Keanu, consider this an invitation to come on Call Your Girlfriend anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Only to do John Wick promo. Hello. (laughs) I mean, listen, whatever it takes. John Wick 3. I'm re- my, my body is ready. <laughs> oh my God. Speaking of my body is ready. Also, did you see those Calvin Klein ads with the cast of Moonlight? Yes. They are so, so flames. Ultimate knuckle bite. Just like, what is happening here? Also, like, who knew that Calvin Klein ads were still relevant sexually? Like, I I had not, like, been into a Calvin Klein ad in that way in a very long time. We went through, like, the Bieber era of Calvin Klein ads, which... As, like, a punchline. Which, like, you know I love Bieber, but, like, not like that. So, these ads were fantastic. I was very, uh, it was, like, a very pleasant Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Very pleasant Monday. Um... What else? I don't know. I'm like, sorry, I feel very disjointed today. I'm like, I know. I feel very, like, I'm just, like, keep getting the, like, the one cramp that, like, pulsates through your body where you're just like, ah. Full body like, cramp. What? It's it's very awful. Um. Okay, well, relevant then. Have you seen this menstruation news that is circulating on the internet about a chiropractor who invented a terrible new, like, period product? I'm literally about to hang up on you. Oh my God. Please tell the people. Okay. Well, like, let me preface this by saying it is probably fake news, exclamation point, exclamation (laughs) point, exclamation point. Um, Because even though it has been written up on every single like women's website, um, it is suspect for a number of reasons. So the explanation, the story as it goes on the internet is this, that a chiropractor in Kansas, a man, obviously, has invented this thing that looks like a tube of lipstick, but it's really glue that will, quote, seal your labia shut during your period, holding all of the blood in until you go to the bathroom. I don't understand. So a man who is a fake scientist, chiropractor, (laughs) says that if you seal your labia shut, oh my God, also labia shut, the blood's not just going to come out of your butthole? Yeah, this is a man who's never felt period blood trickling between his butt cheeks, like like most right. like many, many women have felt. Yeah. Who, who has never <laughs> just like sneezed during their period and go, oh, <laughs> that didn't go where I thought it was going. Right. It's also like the language around it. I hate so much. Okay, so the product is supposedly called Men Says, M-E-N-S-E-Z, which sounds suspiciously oh. like Men Says. Um, oh, but it's supposed to be like Men Sees, right? I think so, but like whatever. I'm oh. Anyway. Um, 
but yeah, and it, and it supposedly comes unsticked with urine, but like not with period blood. Anyway, um, but also and- like again, it's like who just wants to in like why would you just want to like hold blood in your body? It's like people who fundamentally don't understand what like diapers do. Like nobody wants to hold the liquid inside of their body. The whole point is to get rid of it. I mean, this is like opening a whole can of Diva Cup worms if you if you <laughs> if you go that route because that is essentially just holding the blood in your body. I mean, as is a tampon, really. I mean, I guess it's absorbed, but I know, but um, you're like, yes, it is. It's absorbed somewhere, and the Diva Cup goes somewhere. It's like what, I don't know. Anyway, fake news. A hundred percent. This is totally unproven. So everyone who sent us this link, like we are here to factcheck.org this where, um, I mean, the guy has given interviews, like people have contacted him. He, he has given stunning, stunning quotes like, yes, I'm a man and you as women should have come up with better solutions than diapers and plugs, but you didn't. So, I mean, to me, I'm like this, this totally seems designed to like be like viral lady internet and enrage me. I mean like that quote alone, but like it cannot be real. But also like why are real adult women like publishing this kind of shit? So many. I mean, it's like, and again, so many people sent us this. I mean, I think it's like, it hits that spot of like news of the weird. You know what I mean? Like, like we all want better period products, right? Like we are all interested in innovation in this area. So like, that's why it's like, I don't know. That's all I can think of. I know. Labia superglue does not seem like a solution that anybody is going to be happy with. I know. It's true. Well, also everybody like in like lady internet, you know, a chiropractor from Kansas inventing this is like such a perfect villain. Oh my God. That is crazy. Yeah. It's unproven. Everyone who sent us this link, FYI. Like the only thing that made it seem kind of real is that um, he's been granted a patent for this product. Stop. But listen, though, so this is the thing I know I was like, are you kidding me? And then I, I did a little bit of research into the patent process. And apparently patents do not have to work or even be feasible concepts in order to be granted, which basically means that we could be like, I've invented a magical fairy to like fly up, you know, into your vulva and up your vagina to collect all the period blood and then fly out again. And we could get a patent for that. Oh my gosh, all of a sudden I'm interested in becoming a patent troll. Discuss. <laughs> anyway, so that's like, that is like, that is the punchline there. So patents aren't real and neither <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> I mean, who else has been annoying you this week? (laughs) A lot of people annoy me, but one person more so than most, I would say. Our favorite, Kellyanne Conway. Our least favorite, Kellyanne Conway. (laughs) My favorite liar, because, you know, I think that it's really patronizing to use people's kids, like, when you want to criticize them. But I really, for somebody who, like, is always hiding behind family values and, like, respect, the way that she could just, like, lie and, like, look you in the face is just... It's very bold. It's like very bold to me. And I'm just like, wow, you like raise children with the same kind of attitude. Like this is terrifying to me. Right. You're a role model for someone. (sighs) But so anyway, she was involved in my favorite like gaff of the week. So 
So many things went wrong this week at the regular White House, not the Winter White House or the like, <laughs> Golf White House or however they're trying to brand all the other homes. First of all, <laughs> the administration invited presidents from uh, historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, for a photo op and they all fell for it. It was like very disrespectful because... Um, they're like the administration saying that they're signing an executive order regarding HBCUs. Surprise, surprise. Like they're not giving them any money. They're promising them money, which means that all of these university presidents and deans are like fools and like fell for this ridiculous photo op. Well, and then there's also the framing by Betsy DeVos calling them quote pioneers of school choice. Oh, I was going to get there. Let's address that right now. I'm so insulted still. Like it's just, it's just very shocking. It's saying like, hi, you were segregated out of attending like regular universities and colleges. So you had to set up your own, like look at you being pioneers. And now we're going to try to use that same garbage agenda to push for school vouchers. You know, that's like kind of saying that like Rosa Parks was just like a technology, like innovator, you know, she was a transportation innovator. That's what she wanted to do. Right. It wasn't political at all. Oh my gosh. It's so insulting. But again, like goes back to why this whole, like this is the setup of this picture that we're going to discuss. So then the AFP puts out this photo where <laughs> Kellyanne is sitting on, she is kneeling on the couch and it's really unclear like where her feet are, if she's wearing shoes or not, or, you know, like whatever. All you need to know is that like, her knees are tucked into herself and this woman is like 50 years old. And then it turns out through multiple other pictures that like, yes, yeah, she is in fact wearing shoes and the shoes are like in the couch. A lot of people would have you believe that this is like a bullshit controversy to be like upset about and that like we're not focusing on the right thing. I would submit to you that a lot of those people are white people. The reason that this picture made me really upset is because for one, Kellyanne goes on TV pretty much like every day well since she was benched and keeps talking about how nobody respects the office of the presidency and that like we owe her boss. She says the word respect like all of the time and like decency and all of these things. Also when Barack Obama was president, there were a couple of pictures of him like putting his feet on the desk, on the Resolute desk, aka his own desk. And conservative white America went crazy. So to me, this picture just like illustrates a double standard that is really shocking, but also like not surprising at all, right? Is that like, here is this woman, no home training, acting like a complete idiot during a meeting with these like HBCU presidents who one that is disrespectful to. But also it just like encapsulates everything that you know about America and like responsibility politics. I cannot imagine if that was like, Anybody in the Obama White House did that. Cannot imagine if it was like any of those black people in the room like would not think of doing that. Oh my God. Can you imagine if one of those presidents were sitting like that? Like what the like right wing narrative would be if you just swapped her post? I actually like can't imagine it because they would never think to do that because they know how scrutinized they are. Mm. To hear all these people like wave it off and be like, no, this is like dumb and we shouldn't argue about this and we shouldn't whatever. It's like, no, we're not arguing. We're just like pointing out that things are different for different kinds of people. These are the kinds of people that our grandparents used to like put plastic on couches for. Disgusting. I mean, right, because they'll be like putting their stilettos into the back of your sofa. 
Ugh, so gross. But also just like have some decorum. There is like an agency photographer there. Like, look at your life, look at your choices. God, did you also see that at that meeting, Betsy DeVos had like a student who she was like pointing to as like, here's a person who received a K to 12 public school voucher, but that person had like never even attended an HBCU. Yeah, no, exactly. She was just black. It was like that, like confounding all of the issues. It's not clear to me that like Betsy DeVos knows exactly what her job is supposed to be. She's just like a rich lady who really got into school vouchers for people who want to get homeschooled and like loves charter schools and doesn't know what to do with that it's like my god you have so much money pick a different hobby pick a hobby that doesn't negatively affect everyone who wants an education in america oh my gosh yeah no reading her um that statement that she put out about the hbcus and school choice it's so like fourth grade english just so offensive and terrible and yeah that woman makes me so rage angry just look up the full statement if you want to just if you want to realize that like some people live in an alternate reality about like American history. I really like there is a part of me that wants mandatory true facts, real history lessons to be required of anyone in public service. <laughs> right. You're just like, hi, how was your job different during Jim Crow? Discuss. Right. Yeah. Like if you if you can answer that essay question effectively, then like then maybe you can get to a confirmation hearing. But like that should be a requirement. No, but it's like, it's the whole thing. The whole thing is so offensive. And I'm so annoyed that these like HBCU presidents like fell for that really cheap ploy. Like being used in a room that way was just, it was awful. Right. And well, they all went because like, you know, some of them have released statements saying we went because we were told it would be a listening session where we got to say these are our needs as presidents of very specific type of institution. And of course, there was no listening. Like, of course, they were just trotted out like for the photo op. This like kind of goes to questions about like, how are you if you are a person who has like a whole university to advocate for, if you are really speaking for any kind of vulnerable population right now, and you get an invitation like this, like part of your job in in normal times is to engage with the office of the president if they want your input. You know what I mean? It's like such a, it's like, I mean, obviously, like we can see that this is a trap, but I, but I actually think that like, we're still adjusting to the era when it's obvious that stuff like this is a trap yeah but you know it also just like pushes back against that notion of like all of these people in who are still like cooperating with the government like keep saying like you know you want to be at the table or blah 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 because if you're not at the table you're on the menu which is true but there's just no upside here and also you keep seeing people fall for this same shit every week a couple weeks ago it was all of those like canadian lady business leaders i'm like what do we need Canadian lady business leaders to tell us about entrepreneurship in this country that we don't already know? Like they don't even go here. This is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) The Canadians aside, this question though, about if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, but if you're at the table, you're part of the photo op in this situation, like this administration is so you already on the menu though. They've already like decided that they're like gutting everything that you care about the reason this pissed me off so much is because we are already in talks about what the budget is going to look like and by all means they are cutting away at everything that's not like military spending in what universe do you believe that you're going to be listened to when the president is saying that like he's asking for 54 billion dollars more for like military spending what is the upside 
it's almost like it's in preparation for a war we're not we're not having right now, like an extra war, bonus war. Bonus wars. <laughs> None of this is normal, but people keep falling for like very cheap tricks. I feel personally kind of conflicted about this. So do you think that like everyone who can see this administration for what it is should completely disengage from anything, any committees or any meetings like this altogether, just ignore, shut down? I mean, I th- like... I don't know that that's like a completely fair question. I think that you should definitely not be part of like public meetings because it's, it's people who are saying, cause you, you've, we've seen this happen, right? It's like, look at the stupid, like business leader council that like uh, the Uber CEO and all of these other people were on. Right. That's what I was thinking of. Honestly, more. So it's people it. who have no power who just think that they're important telling you that they think that they can change things. I'm like, you literally, one, you have no power. And true, two, why should I trust you? What is so special about like any of those people, even an HBCU president that like says that we should trust that they actually have our best interests at heart. Like if anything, this is what the election has like shown. Everybody is shady and like nobody has power. And as much as you can, like, just don't do harm to the communities that you represent. And one way that you do harm to communities that you represent is by being part of, like, very public, like, photo op type things. That shit's not going to fly. You want to pick up the phone and, like, I don't know, like, call Omarosa and, like, figure stuff out on your own time and, like, see how that's going to happen? Like, sure. But I think that we really need to have a reckoning of like how much, like how effective do you really think you can be? Cause this is a question that I have with a lot of friends who are still working in government, who are trying to get out or who are being pushed out. How much power do you think that you can have and how much can you resist when you're asked to do like really shitty things like help deport people, for example. Right. Obviously like these are all like really hard questions, but the thing is that like not enough people are asking themselves that. They're just like, I think it can be effective from the inside. It's like, no, you couldn't even get like the right person elected. So I think we've learned that you cannot be effective from the inside. Yeah, I mean, and, and it also, I think the what inside is like part of it too, right? And you're, you're totally right to point out that like a public meeting that is designed for a photo op is really different than someone who's saying, I want to like add you to a committee that's making a formal recommendation, for example, or something mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, like I also am similarly skeptical of the value of something like a business council advisory role, which has more of the effect of saying that you legitimize this president or this administration than anything else. Yeah, Um, the president's own like Jewish daughter can't get him to like condemn anti-Semitism. I don't know what other people think they can do. I know it's why she has to keep planting those stories, which like, now that you said that I like, I can't, it cannot be unseen. I'm just like, Oh my God, all of the, unseen yeah, stories. it's always like Jared and Ivanka are pushing against, you know, like a uh, LGBT order. Sharon Ivanka, and I'm just like, no, like they can't even get their man to like do what's right. And they clearly like feel a lot of tension because of, you know, they're like supposed liberal values. So I think that for everybody else, it's really, it's not a time to like have an ego or be selfish, which is usually what people tell you when they're like, they want to be the ones that are in the rooms. It's like, no, what is going on right now is very not normal. And people are just like drawn to powerful people, no matter how evil they are. I mean, yeah. Kissinger. Ew. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is not going where I thought it was going, but great. No, it's like the classic quote of like power being an aphrodisiac said by like a man who is horrible and ugly, like inside and out. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that's exactly, I'm, I'm just affirming what you said. <laughs> True story. I don't know. The whole thing is really unfortunate. It's just, there are a lot of things that have really disappointed me in like the last like 30 days of this dude being president we have four more years of it which is going so i know that like more will disappoint me but seeing that room full of like black men and women who are supposed to represent like something that is excellent in the black community was like it was really hurtful just like i cannot believe you fell for this shit i cannot believe you were treated this way i cannot believe you went along with it I mean, I I do have to believe that we're still in a transition period of like as much as people can say it's not normal, like like people who are in positions of power are learning the hard way that it's not normal or like learning that they don't actually get a say when they think they will. And maybe maybe it's one of those things, too, that like now that this happened and some of those university presidents have have written things or said things about like how pointless that meeting really was and how they regret going like maybe people won't go to the next one you know like there is a learning curve in I mean yes like saying this is not normal is real and like we and many 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 other people have been saying it but like learning how to adjust to that it has to take time you know what I mean it's like we're used to we're used to the Obamas uh all I can think is it's only been a month we have four years of this nightmare Ugh, to go. I can't, I can't think about it in those terms. We're going to be so old by the time like act one of this nonsense resolves itself. I just like cannot, I can't handle this. I know we're aging years by the month. I love too that like we had pledged that we would not discuss politics <laughs> before we signed on. Listen, and it's somehow, relevant. <laughs> and somehow, no, I know, but this is, it just goes to just how much it permeates everything that we do and everything we think about. I mean, if you want to raise your blood pressure even more, we can talk about who is and isn't a feminist. <laughs> oh, my God. Hit me. Hit me. Uh, well, I wasn't even going to address this book excerpt that New York Magazine published by the writer Jessica Crispin, who wrote for a long time for the blog Book Slut. That's what I'm talking about. The book is called Why I Am Not a Feminist. What's the, what's the tagline? A Feminist Manifesto. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make that clear. Yep. But anyway, I haven't read the book, so I can only respond to the excerpt. I am reading the book, so I'll fill in the holes for you. Please. I can be brief in my critique of the essay, which, much like the menstrual glue guy, I think that this is like a lot of hot air. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's my feeling, right? Like, just from a perspective of, like, of reading critically, whenever I read something that is big and sweeping about, like, the state of feminism, first question, who is this person? Is this person invested in doing movement-type feminist work? Like, is this person a respected leader on, like, actual issues of equality um, and politics or social progress? So, like, that's, like, step one. Where is this person coming from? As far as I can tell, this person is a cultural critic and professionally and not someone who is 
actively invested in movement politics or else she does not feel the need to make clear that she is walking that walk pause button does the book say (laughs) that she is like a movement-based like activist no and the excerpts that you read was and a lot of the interviews that she's given i'm thinking particularly about the one to jezebel are like fairly representative of what the book is there's something like particularly dated about the moment that the book outrage was born in oh this is like when we like cared about like ann coulter and maureen dowd and like mean girls removed like a couple of years and i think maybe like this illustrates like my chief annoyance with it is i'm like hi we have real problems now so i don't really care that four years ago you were discussing whether like getting a bikini wax was like uh feminist or not but like there is honestly like no evidence that this person has ever had like any skin in the game when it comes to and we talk about this all the time like feminism's not empowerment it's actually a political movement and it's like what have you been doing with your politics and right that's where it all gets very murky and the book goes into these like really pointed personal attacks and like straw woman arguments that i'm so shocked past the muster test for anyone like one of the things that like she says that feminists don't talk about is economic family structure or whatever and i'm just like which feminists are you reading like what (laughs) (laughs) this was not something that you've encountered in your tarot circles you know (laughs) or or like one of the attacks also was actually like not attacks like critiques let's say is that uh like glorious dynam doesn't push for intersectionality so here's the thing you can accuse white feminists of like pretty much like every evil under the sun and like something will stick the one white feminist that you like literally cannot come for because she learned her lesson very young in life is glorious dynam also i'm like glorious dynam recently published a memoir where it makes clear that she does take a pretty intersectional analysis and so for someone whose world is books and not activism as we just pointed out i'm like at least you could have read the memoir (laughs) no totally it's like glorious dynam like is somebody who i think more than like most contemporary feminists that we know is somebody who like actually pushes very hard for intersectionality is somebody who acknowledges like cross-generational feminist work who like that's kind of been the cornerstone of what her work has been for the last couple of years right like since the 70s yeah yeah it's like reading it i was like how can i take this person seriously and then in some regards like has these like very sweeping like feminism is this or feminism doesn't discuss xyz and doesn't like name names which is so lazy to me But again, you're just like, yeah, this is what happens when, like, your entire feminism argument is, like, Taylor Swift didn't vote for Hillary and bikini waxes are bad, as opposed to, like, I am a student of feminist praxis and I know the history and I know who the, like, relevant contemporary players are and I understand, like, what the politics of the movement are. So in that regard, like, it was annoying to me that, like, something like this gets to be published because it really just reinforces these, like, uh, women are nags type stereotypes in order to be like a woman with a platform, like all you have to do is kind of like shit on other women. And again, like that's a trap and a lot of people fall for it. I don't know much about how books are edited, but I (laughs) do expect that, like I do know something about how magazine features are edited and like what I hope the standards would be. And one of those standards is if you were arguing against something, 
argue against a thing. Like you can't argue against like a made up notion in your head and just say, like, as you say, it's all Taylor Swift these days. It's like, I'm sorry, because feminism is practiced by many actual women who have interests beyond just movement work doesn't mean that like my feminism equals Taylor Swift. Like we can have a side conversation about a music video (laughs) or about a political slogan on a t-shirt. And we understand given like the work that we do when we're not chatting about those things that like, that does not mean our feminism boils down to that. You know, anyone who adopts the label, like the other thing that I hate about it, this idea that a long essay about who is and who isn't the right kind of feminist or feminist enough and saying that essentially if you care about things that aren't the hard work of politics and social change then you are not a feminist as opposed to saying like those two things can coexist I have such a problem with that as an actual turnoff or like chilling effect to people who are like me and you who are like we have interests in many things beyond feminism that we are able to not conflate with the work of feminism. It is the most one note kind of way to describe what does it mean to be a feminist and book editors aside again I don't really know you but like I'm really sad about like the wonderful normally wonderful editors at New York Magazine who like didn't think to make her cite sources. I was just like wow honestly but that's how I felt about the interview at Jezebel too. It's like this person who interviewed her who's like writing I generally really enjoy just lets her get away with like so many just like convoluted statements and like doesn't stop to pause. Like, can you elaborate on this? Like fact check. Like one of her um, qualms in her book was she cites Rebecca Traister's All the Single Ladies book, which we have like talked about a lot on this podcast and we were obviously like featured in. We read it too. That's a special thing. Yeah, the special thing is that like we read it, right? (laughs) And then one of her like bizarre charges is that Rebecca's book doesn't acknowledge the socioeconomic impacts (laughs) of feminism on women and uh, especially like women of color. And I was like, this is crazy. If you had actually read the book, you would know that she goes like through great pains to like talk about this, right? It's not like being single is awesome because like the city will feed you and will do your laundry and like whatever. She's like, no, here are all of the socioeconomic aspects of like capitalism that make that possible. And in this like very casual interview, I was like, wow, you just shot on a woman. You like lied about her work. And this person who is interviewing you because they also like probably haven't read the book, like they don't stop you to tell you what's going on. And I was like, you know, what's not feminism is like lying about other women's work. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, the thing that's also unfortunate to me is like, I think that there is an interesting conversation to be had about the ways in which stuff that is not the hard work of activism, that is more like the kind of more fun community building stuff that I think enables good activism, but is distinct from it. So, you know, I would say things like wearing a futurist female t-shirt, not a feminist act, but like maybe an act of sort of like a way to connect with other people who might be similarly politically motivated or attuned to social justice. Like I would put it in (laughs) conversations about pubic hair, all of the outdated kind of stuff that like that she mentions. I put as like totally in the realm of like community building, frivolous fun, not the core of like the work or like what you have to do in order to really claim this label. And I feel like it's good to be like, huh, am I only doing like the fluffy, easy stuff and not the hard work of like being in the movement as a feminist? Like, I think that's a fair question. And I don't think that it's 
wrong to say that that description does apply to some people. For me personally, even during certain weeks, maybe me too, and maybe lots of people. But when you conflate those things as like being in conflict with doing the work as opposed to separate from and related to, that's what makes me really angry too. It's like, it's just like wholesale being like, you don't get to do anything that hits on any other level other than like the most important justice work. And I think that 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 is just not sustainable. Yeah. um, I mean, if you want to read a good book about this, uh, it actually exists. Andy Zeisler, what was her book called? Oh, we were feminists. We were feminists once. We were feminists once. Like that book is actually like really good and was like very challenging to me because there are a lot of things in it that I didn't necessarily agree with, but I thought that there was a very, very pointed and like good critique about the current state of where the movement is, right? And wasn't rooted in these, like, here's what Beyonce is or isn't doing for feminism. Right. I think that the reason that, like, this other book that we were talking about is really annoying to me, all that this is is just, like, fodder for not taking women seriously. Like, for any other serious political topic, you can't get away with this kind of analysis. Right. But, like, surprise. Because it's women, it's like, this is all we're going to talk about. And that really irks me. Women like this will come around like all of the time. I'm performing for like somebody else's gaze slash it's kind of all about me. And and that's why like it's so important to really like that point that you made at the beginning. It's like the skin in the game argument of the feminism, right? It's like what like what are you promoting here? Are you like promoting politics or are you promoting yourself? And I always find that these voices, like, all they're doing is, like, promoting themselves and their own ideas and cultural jujitsu shit that, like, every year becomes more and more outdated. Yeah, I love it. Like, an argument that's essentially, like, all about me, not about the movement is framed as feminism is too narcissistic. I'm like ultimate jujitsu. <laughs> like, I'm like, I wow. Mean, like, like, it's basically like, I'm super narcissistic. It's a problem with feminism. <laughs> yeah, it's just somehow for, like, women's history and politics it's always okay to have one person just be like i'm gonna put out all these straw men arguments and just say all this polemical shit and then we'll see where the spaghetti lands on the wall but i i hate the fact too that like there's a distinct feeling when i read the essay again i'm only talking about the excerpt it's not for people who are doing this work it like it claims to be sort of like hey feminist let me hit you with the truth but like really it's for people who are outside of this movement and critiquing it like that's who this essay is for you know it's like for people low information deciders (laughs) yes exactly people who are not personally invested and like want to watch the fight go down and so that's the other thing is like who is this for i think is an important question to ask whenever it's like a high level is it good for feminism is it feminist it's like okay well who's who's having the conversation Totally. Also, if you're like one of your like big talking points is like what Beyonce is or isn't doing for feminism. <laughs> like, I really can't help you because we are living in a different cultural moment than that right now. You know, and yeah. I think that that's the that's kind of the one thing that's been really illuminating about the last couple of months. It's so much easier to see what the bullshit is what are you really hung up on? Is it the actual big fights that we have ahead, like paid family leave or reproductive justice? Or are you really talking about celebrity engagement for clickbait reasons? I love Beyonce. She is the best. You will not catch me speaking ill of her because I'm not a fool. But it is really unfair to pin this kind of movement work, like what is good or bad about it on the heads of celebrities who don't ask for it. 
And also are engaged in a completely different project than we are. Team Beyonce and not having to be 100% in the spotlight doing the feminist work 24-7 to like get a pass from disingenuous people like this. Oh my gosh. Yeah, everything is a trap. Don't fall for it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everything's a trap except for Keanu Reeves. He is the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Except for those Calvin Klein ads. (laughs) Yeah, Keanu at 50 and like Calvin Klein ads. That's it. But everything else is a trap. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Yeah. I want to believe that like we have thicker skin than this. But at the same time, it's just it really irks me to see so-called feminists misrepresent the work that actual feminists are doing. Because there is a serious argument to be made about where our movement is at right now and where we're going and what we're doing and what we're participating in. Like, I think that they're like really big, serious questions to ask whether the work that we're doing is sustainable, but when it comes from these like really disingenuous attacks, it's just all I, all it just makes me rage angry all over again. Normally I'm like ignore to destroy this sort of thing, but like (laughs) also that's why this conversation frankly feels a little different to me on the podcast than say for me to like write something else at New York. I do feel that this is a conversation among people who are invested in things beyond a superficial conversation about Taylor Swift or Beyonce, right? Like actual work, as opposed to fueling a kind of larger conversation that's more of like a public display for people who are not invested, which is like, again, like the, like how I feel about the essay. My instinct is to ignore this, but also like... I don't know, man. If you come for Beyonce and Rebecca Traister in the same breath, like, it's hard for me to ignore. Yeah, we're going to discuss <laughs> you on this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's very hard for me to ignore. It's 2017. Like, we have really moved on from, like, is armpit hair, like, a feminist thing or not? Like, please. Like, some of us are doing real work. Right. It's like some people have it. Some people don't. We're all working. Move on. (laughs) It's just, yeah. And, you know, and it's also like that stuff is the easy stuff. We are decades into what the modern feminist project tries to be. And we are still dealing with like so much like just 101 shit. And people who like either don't understand or willfully misrepresent what is going on. And that is really frustrating to me because it's hard to look ahead to like what the next like I don't know, like three, four or five decades look like when we're still grappling with like the very existence of the work that we're doing. Feminism, we're going to get there one day eventually. <laughs> I know. Oh my God, maybe that's my book. <laughs> yeah, do it. Oh my God, please write a better version of this book. I would, I would buy all the copies. Please, if I ever wrote a book about feminism, I'm going full Fox News, selling out, making like bazillions of dollars like the Obamas. You know, the Obamas just got like a really good big book deal yesterday and it made me really happy because I'm like, yes, finally, they're rich now. Everything is good. Malia and Sasha can go to the college of their choosing. Um, but yeah, <laughs> tell me one happy thing before we end. Well, I found my wedding look for this wedding I'm officiating, which I was going to do an update because um, so many listeners sent me links to things, some of them great, some of them wholly inappropriate. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm wearing a navy jumpsuit yes. um, that I bought at a regular store despite having an excessively long torso, which was always exciting. And I'm working on the shoes now. So thank you to everyone who took a very active interest in what I am wearing to this wedding, which is imminent. Yes, queen. Yes, so that's a happy thing. I feel great. I'm going to look great. 
happy ending. What what have you got? That's good news. That's that's it. Shout out Tim and Renee. We want to embarrass you at your wedding. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we'll look good and smell good. <laughs> Oh, got to get my scent game fixed. Like, that's the next step. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on iTunes, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Look that up yourself or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Okay, boo-boo. All right. I gotta go keep bleeding into my labia that are not shut. See you on... Well, I was going to say see you on the internet, but see you in Palm Springs. See you in Palm Springs. (laughs) 